Jeremiah is just a kid when he experiences something of a call from God. It's something deeply spiritual, something that wells up within his soul, from his heart, connecting his mind, engaging probably his entire body. And he experiences this moment of call upon his life, his homeland, his country. He's going through some terrible shifts. There are some unbelievably shaky experiences happening in their political and religious worlds. In Jeremiah's day, the political and the religious were not seen as two separate entities, but rather they were wrapped up within each other. It's in maybe some ways not too different from today. They perhaps were just more open about it. Jeremiah looks out at his nation and realizes that somewhere deep within, he's been given this call to preach to their situation, to speak a word of hope, to speak a word that crystallizes who they really are truly called to be. You see, because they've forgotten them. The very foundation of their nation was crumbling. And so this boy, 15, 16, maybe 17 years old, is called by God to speak a word to the nation. He was not a politician. He was not a soldier. He had not become a successful business person who was influencing the culture. He was not a philosopher or an academic. He's just a boy, just a kid. He seems to know. Somewhere within, he seems to know that he has a gift, a talent, a a skill for speaking, for preaching, for prophesying, as they used to say in those days. And and by the way, you need to know that a prophet in Jeremiah's day was not somebody who looked out a hundred or five hundred years or a thousand years into the future to predict something that might happen that would never affect anyone in front of them. No, a prophet in Jeremiah's day was someone who looked at that moment, at that day, and said, here's where we are. Here's where we're going to go if we continue to behave in this matter. It wasn't about some faraway time for three or four generations later. It was the reality of who they were, uh, who they were in that moment. Uh, the, the popular phrase today, kind of a cliche, but it still works, is that prophets were called to speak truth to power, to name it clearly, called by God to keep the politicians honest, to make sure the religious leaders weren't selling their souls for a couple of dollars, to remember who's they are and who they are, and to remind everyone who they've been called to be, to bring them all in the line of of God's desires. This is the calling that's been offered to Jeremiah. It's kind of a lousy job. (laughs) Honestly, this young person, this young adult, is being invited to speak to the most powerful persons in the nation. He may be just a kid, just a boy, but he knows a tough calling when he sees it. That's why he's so clear in his response to this word from God. I'm just a boy. I'm too young. You clearly, you don't meet me. Now, I got to tell you, if I'd been one of Jeremiah's advisors, I would have said, I would have spoken back to God and said, you know, he's kind of right. He's just a kid. Let's, let's do something to help him. Let's get him a job, an internship maybe in a large temple where he can learn all the various uh, aspects of ministry. He could serve on the finance committee and learn about how the money is spent. And he can serve on stewardship and learn how to bring the money in. And he can serve with the children and youth ministries and be a teacher for them. And he can maybe preach once in a while. Let's, let's, let's gently and carefully nurture this clear emerging superstar for ministry. Let's not throw him right in feet first. My inclination would have been to carefully protect this young preacher, this young prophet, to groom him for greatness. I would have said clearly, uh, the calling may be strong, but let's nurture him. Let's provide safe passage. And that would have been a huge mistake. You see, what was true for Jeremiah is true for us and our children today. 
This emerging generation, this generation of kids, I don't care if they're 18 or 3, we need to start giving them a lot more credit than we do. They, have, they are being bombarded by so much more than even we were being hit with 10 years ago, let alone a whole generation, 50, 60, 70 years prior. And these kids are handling it with dexterity and with skill. They're able to think about a variety of things. Oh, I know, I know, you can't really think abstractly till you're 12 or 13 years old. Your brain only functions that way at that age. But I'm wondering, I don't have the research, but I'm wondering if it's beginning to lower a little bit because there's so much coming at these kids and how quickly they learn. You know, I, there's something about a church that's willing to listen to its children that's inspirational. There's something about a church that's willing to allow the, the kids in the youth group, the, the, the guys in the balcony, to talk to us, to get our attention. That really says that church is willing to take a risk. The fact is, our children and youth can handle a lot more than we realize. They can take on so many different things and do them all well at the same time. Maybe, maybe it's time for us not to be worried about protecting them, holding them, but rather giving them a place to stand and from there to let them fly. Mark Iaconelli is one of my favorite writers. He lives out in Ashland, Oregon. He's a spiritual director, writes, speaks, travels around the world, really. But he and his wife have grounded themselves in this little community in southern Oregon where he, they're raising a couple of kids. Their oldest is a boy named Noah. On Noah's 13th birthday, they participated in an initiation that their church has set up for 13-year-olds in their congregation. Noah and his dad, Mark, the teller of this story, traveled with seven other adult men, friends, close friends of the family, a couple of uncles and some very close friends, 30 miles out into the, into the mountains out near Ashland, up close to the summit of the largest, of the highest peak in the area. There they had an old cabin that, they, that they'd secured for the weekend with a large area for building a campfire. They unloaded all their stuff, and one of the adults took, took young Noah, the 13-year-old, aside and said, all right, we're going to climb to the summit. It might take us an hour and a half, a couple of hours, but we're going to go up to the top, and we're going to talk about some things. So while the camp was being set up, the cabin was being set up, these two took off, got up to the top of the summit. There, Noah sat with his father's very good friend, a man named Frank. And Frank said, tell me about your life. What are your dreams? What are your fears? What are your hopes? What are your worries? And they had this deep, engaging conversation for a couple of hours where they talked about all that. Then as the sun was beginning to set, Frank reached into his own backpack and pulled out a journal handed it to his young friend Noah and said, now what I want you to do before it gets completely dark is write all this down. Your dreams, your hopes, your fears, your worries, everything. Maybe stuff we didn't even talk about this, morning, this afternoon. Write it all down. And so he did. Frank said to the young boy, now I'm going to head back to camp. When it's completely dark, when the sun is gone, when there's no more light in the sky other than the moon and the stars, you need to walk back to camp on your own. That's part of what happens on this weekend. Now, you'll be able to get there. Don't worry. After 30 minutes or so, you'll see the, the campfire glowing in the distance, and you'll, you'll get back. Don't worry. <clears throat> Darkness comes. Frank is gone, long gone. Noah's not too sure. He can't see the fire, but he kind of remembers the direction they came, so he starts heading back down the mountain. Sure enough, 30, 40 minutes into his hike, in the darkness, he sees this tiny little flicker of a flame way off in the distance, and he knows that's where my dad and my friends are. Took him two hours to get there, <clears throat> but once he finally got in, he walked into the circle of light. All the men who were waiting for him cheered and clapped. They gave him a, 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 a plate full of, of, of meat and potatoes, and he hungrily scarfed it down. And then they sat around the campfire, and each one of the men shared with young Noah their successes, 
their failures, their great joys, and their absolute fears. They got kind of raw and rough. I mean, they were honest with this young guy, told him things that they regretted forever. By the time it got to be the last adult man to share, Mark looked at his son Noah and could see that he was beginning to pull in on himself. He was protecting himself. It wasn't cold. It was clear it was almost too much. The stories, the rawness of it all, the suffering that was being shared, the talk about death and dying. As soon as the last man was done, Noah stood up, walked outside of the light of the fire, and he just retched his guts out, just lost everything he'd eaten. Finally, they went to bed, woke up the next day, and Mark said to his son, Are you okay? Are you doing all right? He said, Yeah, I'm doing fine, Dad. Doing fine. There was a ping pong table there in the, in the cabin, so they played a little ping pong, had fun. And then they went back down the mountain where they gathered with their friends at church for the Sunday morning service. And as part of their practice in that congregation, the one being initiated was invited to give the call to worship, the opening prayer, and to read scripture. And after the sermon was done, he was baptized. And following the baptism, he was invited to walk down the center aisle and be greeted by the congregation as they sang a hymn that we know well here, I was there to hear your burning cry. It's a beautiful hymn. The congregation stands. They sing. I was there to hear your burning cry. I'll be there with you. And there's just emotion in the room. And you can see it on little Noah's face. And you can feel it in their voices as they're singing. And Mark, who's sitting there with his wife, Noah's mom, is thinking to himself, this is too much. My God, what have we done to our son? All this emotion, all this suffering, all these things he's learned in just one week. And this is too much. And out of nowhere, the little three-year-old cousin of Noah, he he doesn't know exactly what's going on, but he can sense the tension and the emotion. And so he runs down the aisle and he wraps his arms around his bigger, taller cousin's legs and just holds him tight saying, I love you cuz, I love you cuz. And Mark wonders, was it too much? As Noah in that moment just bursts into sobbing, weeping tears. A couple days later, he finds a friend of his, a man that is, is a pastor, a man who's also an expert in Native American initiation rites. Mark says to his friend, you know, I'm, I'm so worried that it was too much for my son. I mean, just, just too much. And his friend stopped him and said, you know what happened? I'll tell you what happened. The Spirit of God came in there and pushed you to the side. You've spent your whole life keeping your son safe and protected from all those stories of suffering, from knowledge of death and all the rest. You spent your whole life trying to make sure that your son would be happy. But here he is, led by the Spirit in the transition into adulthood. There is the recognition of pain. There is the knowledge of suffering. And this man said to Mark also, you know, it's terribly hard for parents in this moment because you experience the powerlessness of what it means to let your child go, to see her soar, to see him fall. You see, I I love that story because I hear Jeremiah's plaintive cry and I want to protect. I want to say to God, no, no, not now, not yet, no, please. let Let this boy grow up some more. God hears Jeremiah's cry, and he reminds Jeremiah, Don't be afraid, for I am with you now and forever. I'm kind of wondering this morning, Country Club Christian Church, if we can hear God's voice. I wonder if we, like Jeremiah, might be willing to say, Well, Lord, you know, not yet. Well, we're, we're coming up on our 100th birthday, but well, still, we're not quite ready to 
to risk, to dare, to dream, to dream big dreams. Change, we might say, is hard. It's, it's difficult. I got a new computer last month. I still have no idea what I'm doing. You know, I, that, that's hard enough. Lord, come on. We really want these other changes to be put in place. Are you sure? But think about our kids. We've raised a generation or maybe two now with a perfectly fine goal of keeping them safe and healthy, happy and warm. When maybe what we needed to do was hear the call of God on us and on their lives and challenge our kids to respond. Look at the world. What are you going to do? I see my boys under stress. I want to protect. God's spirit says, let them soar. Let them fall. God looks at the world and sees great need. And what does God do? God robs the youth group. (laughs) He goes to the Jerusalem first youth group and says, I need Jeremiah, and I need him now. Things are bad. He's got a word. Let's send him out. God goes after someone who will not be held back by fear and a desire to maintain the status quo. It was not an easy message to preach. Sometimes Jeremiah is called the the weeping prophet because he looks out at the world and realizes how hard his message is. It, It causes him to cry, but his tears proclaim a hard truth. But it was Jesus who would say 650 years later, the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. We don't need happiness. We need truth. You've done a lot of reading about the church these days and where our next steps need to take us, not just us, country club, but the church in in general. Two themes continually pop up, two themes. Don't let yourself become so inwardly focused that you forget who your neighbor is. And don't get yourself so caught up in all the ministries that you have that you kind of push off children and students to the side as though it's nice to see them once in a while on Backpack Sunday, but just be quiet now and move on to the other way. No surprise there, but the implication is clear. If we're going to pay attention to the world and the world that needs us and our message, we're going to have to get used to change. It means we better be ready to listen to our children and youth and to hear what they have to say, to allow our young adults to be primary voices in our congregation, and all sorts of things will need attention. What exactly? I don't know. And neither do you. But the conversation begins by listening to each other and to the world. I do know that the church will look different in the next generation. I mean, think about this. What's church going to be like in 2025? Will we have to construct a space where we park all of our jetpacks after we've flown into church? Probably not. But think about this. You've got in your pocket right now a phone that has unbelievable connectivity to the entire world. You can get information about anything and everything right now on your little smartphone. And in fact, you can do something that's pretty simple, kind of easy. You can check in this morning at Country Club Christian Church on Twitter or Facebook and tell dozens, hundreds, even thousands of people that you were in church today. That's a change. That's a difference. Are we ready for it? You know, several years ago here at the church, we interviewed a young seminarian who was in his late 20s for a youth director position here, part-time job. He was about to graduate from a very conservative evangelical university, and we wanted to be sure that he was theologically inclined to fit in with our staff, to fit in with our ministries and our theological understandings here. And so we, we asked some indirect questions that we thought would kind of let us know whether or not he was fully inclusive of the LGBT community. Well, he kind of figured out what we were doing, and he got a little irritated. And he said, look, I know what you're asking, okay? Everyone under 30 nowadays, 
accepts gays and lesbians. We accept the science that says that's how they were born, and we accept the fact that they are full, full participants in the full life of God's church and in God's world. We're fine with that. So let me ask you a question. Are you ready to follow Jesus? Are you ready to go all the way you need to do as a church? Are you willing and ready to do whatever it takes to get to the next step, to get to the next place where you are? He preached at us. He was interviewing, but he was preaching. He did get the job, by the way. We needed to hear what he had to say. Are we ready to do whatever it takes to move our ministry forward? I I talked a couple months ago to my friend Amy Butler. She's the pastor at the Riverside Church in New York City. Been there now a couple of years Brilliant preacher. I love reading her sermons. We were on the phone talking about some things. And I said, Amy, how do you do it? I mean, the world is changing. And you've got that great church, beautiful cathedral-style building. What do you do? She said, every Monday morning, I sit in my chair in my office at 8 o'clock and I cry. And then I get on to the hard work of the ministry that's before me. Are we ready to do whatever it takes? But it's not just about the church. What about you? What about your life? I don't care if you're 8 or 88. I don't care if you're 108 or just starting to walk and talk. What's next? Are you ready? Are you choosing to live or do you just exist? What challenges are set before you? What opportunities are you avoiding? I mean, I'll be, I'll be totally honest. Sometimes when hard challenges come my way, all I want to do is go online order a pizza from Domino's, watch the Royals, and just kind of forget about anything hard. Now, as far as Domino's and the Royals are concerned, those are good things, so that's fine. And there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes we got to ask the question, do we want to live or exist? Several years ago, I got into a late-night conversation with my son, Nate. I'm biased, but I think he's brilliant. He reads philosophy for fun, for example. He reads Kierkegaard, and he reads, he reads Nietzsche, and uh, he reads Lao Tzu, who wrote the Tao Te Ching. He does that for fun and entertainment. But he was still in high school, and I came home late one night. I'd been here at the church all day. It'd been a long meeting. was tired. It was a little bit after 10. I sat down on the couch, had a glass of wine, and he just came bouncing down the stairs. Hey, Dad, glad you're home. I've been reading Kierkegaard tonight. I, I want to talk to you. You read Kierkegaard in seminary? Oh, yeah, good. Let's talk about it. And he just goes off in this conversation. Finally, I said, buddy, I just want to sit here and veg. No, you don't. Turn off the TV. Let's talk. And we got into this deep conversation about Kierkegaard and uh, his understanding of, of theology and the world and all that sort of thing. Finally, Nate stops and he goes, Dad, what are you afraid of? I went in the study, and I got my computer, my laptop, I opened it up, and I went to a pages document, a word processing document, and I pointed at the little flashing cursor. You know what I'm talking about? I said, I'm afraid of that. Because every Monday, that little cursor mocks me. You got nothing to say. You got nothing to write. Who do you think you are? That, that's what it is. I was kind of bearing my soul to him, you know? And he just looks at me and goes, that's it? That's what you're afraid of? That's all? I said, what are you talking about? I just opened my heart and soul up to you. He said, oh, come on, Dad. He walked upstairs and came back down. He had his copy of the Tao Te Ching. He, he reads Eastern philosophy a lot. And he said, listen to this. Being deeply loved by someone gives you strength, while loving someone deeply gives you courage. Do you hear what my boy was saying? Dad, I love you. Get some courage. Have some guts. Live the life you've been given. He was preaching to the preacher, and boy, did I need to hear it. 
We named him Nathaniel, that's his full name, which means gift of God, Nathan El, gift of God. We probably should have named him Jeremiah, which I think I looked it up this last week and the Hebrew means serious pain in the neck, but nonetheless, <laughs> nonetheless. I thought of that story about Nate uh, last week as I finished a book by Rob, Rob Bell. He uses that same image of the cursor, but he expands on it much more deeply than, than I did. He says every one of us has a, flank, a flashing little cursor. And what it is, it's an invitation to you to look at your life, to say, what is it? What's next? What are you going to make of this one life that you've been given? Is there a call that you need to make? Someone you should be talking to that you haven't talked to in years because you just haven't? Is there a letter you should have written, an email months ago that you know you need to communicate to this other person, is there a challenge, a task, a project? Maybe you've dreamed of writing a book, but you're afraid that in this writing of the book you'll be rejected and you don't want the rejection. Sorry, that one's mine. Never mind. What about you? The little cursor is flashing. It's flashing about you and your life. What have you been called? Are you, are you living or existing? I do have some good news this morning. The kids that filled our chancel today are going to help us move our church forward. Some, some of them, probably most of them, have no idea that this is about to happen. But I'm pretty sure that God smiled today when God saw all of these children up here. Maybe one or two of them will have something to say to us. Maybe three of them. Maybe 23. I, I don't know. But it's a beautiful thing to see all those boys and girls, middle schoolers and, and some high schoolers hiding up there in the balcony, to see them spread out here on this chancel reminding us that we've been invited, whether we're 8 or 88, to be alive. I mean, I'll just tell you, this week, I'm 57 years old, and every morning I've begun, my, I've begun my prayers by saying, Lord, I need courage. I need faith. I need hope. Are you ready for whatever's next in your life? Are you willing to pray, to ask God to be with you, to bless you? These children here, these young people, they're a sign and a symbol of where we're going next. Because the word of God that came to Jeremiah, that is spoken to them, is given to you. Do not be afraid, for God is with you.